last week, we wanted to focus on Jonah. And we wanted to focus not so much on Jonah, but what God was doing with Jonah, the grace manifest toward him, how despite Jonah's rebellion, despite Jonah's defiance and, and stubbornness, God graciously, God patiently, and God lovingly reached out to him. And he wanted Jonah to see a bigger picture that was beyond his own personal antagonistic feelings that he had toward Nineveh. Which sort of causes me to stop and think for a second. And I want you to think about this too. With what we're experiencing now, with the struggles that you may be going through, with the hardships that you may have encountered, with the difficulties that you may be walking through even now, I guess you could say the depths that you have found yourself in, how is God reaching out to you? And in the context that you're in right now, with everything that's going on, how is God making his grace manifest toward you to redirect you, to change your focus, to encourage your heart? Even if you're not experiencing that deliverance straight away, how is God trying to get your attention where you will have a change of focus, where you will not be so self-focused, but God-focused. See, that's a question that only you guys can answer individually because our God meets us where we're at. And so are we having our eyes opened? Are we having our spiritual senses sharpened? Are we coming to the understanding as we're told in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, that we are to endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Could that be part of our shaping as we go through this now? That it's in that difficulty that we are hardened in, in the good sense, that we are strengthened in the good sense. How, how are we coming to understand that we are to endure temptation for when we are tried, for God will give to them a crown of life to those that love him, as we're told in James chapter 1, verse 12. How are we experiencing those things as we go through these difficulties now? How are we coming to understand that enduring of hardness for when we are tried, that we, are, that we endure such things, that we endure temptation, that all of that is a part of God dealing with and working in us? Because we may not experience, and I think we're discovering that now, we may not experience deliverance straight away. Much like Jonah. Jonah prayed in the belly of the fish, but he was still in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. And it was in the belly of the fish that God taught him, that God grew him, and that God developed him as God dealt with him in the depths. Maybe God is dealing with us in our depths, in our situations even now. You see, in the fish, Jonah received revelation. In the fish, Jonah repented of his actions. In the fish, Jonah responded to God's commands. And it was then, it was then when he received revelation, it was then when he repented, it was then when he responded that God delivered him from the belly, that God vomited up onto dry land. 
if you read Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. And he vomited him up. He delivered him from the belly of the fish so Jonah could be and do what God had called him to do. Or, as in today's message, it is God's grace upon Jonah as he restored to Jonah the privilege to be able to serve. The privilege to be able to serve. So I'm going to ask my brother Brad to come in from Feeding the Chooks, and he's going to do a reading for us this morning. We're going to read Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Here, it's just up here for you, Brad. Jonah chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In forty days Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must, must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Thanks a lot for that, Brad. If you'd just like to bow your heads, we'll open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you for the example of Jonah and the way you dealt with him and how you're the same God who deals with us. Uh, that even in our defiance, in our rebellion, you, by your grace, win us over. You, by your grace, transform our hearts. You, by your grace, change us and our focus from ourselves to you. We ask now as we continue our study in Jonah that you will reveal the greatness of your mercy, the amazing wonder of, of your graciousness, and Father, we might just fall more in love with you. Please help us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I, I don't know where you're at at the moment. But in the depths that you are experiencing, in the depths that you may have experienced, uh, the lessons that you have learned in the midst of these hardships and the deliverance that you may have or you might be awaiting of God as he, excuse the words, vomits you back out onto dry, dry land, it must be said that God in his grace vomiting Jonah up vomiting us up, I guess you could say another word would be more reviving us, is the opportunity for you and I to 
to do that which we have been designed for, been designated to, and called to by God himself. It wasn't just a matter of being delivered to exist. It's to be delivered for a specific purpose, for a specific calling. For Jonah, it was as God's prophet. For Jonah, it was the bearing and proclaiming of God's message. But bear this in mind, it was the proclaiming and bearing of God's message to an audience that God chose, not Jonah. An audience that God decided and that God appointed. Uh, An interesting fact is that Jonah is the only prophet in the Old Testament that is specifically appointed to preach to a nation other than Israel. He's the only one that whose specific ministry here is to a foreign land. Now, take, take that idea for us who belong to Jesus Christ, for us who have been born again by his spirit through, his, through our trust in his sacrifice on the cross, we, like Jonah, have been appointed to. We, like Jonah, have been called to go, to preach, and to teach all those things that the Lord Jesus has taught us. Uh, If you look at the Great Commission of Matthew 28, uh, verses 18 through to 20. Thus, as we work through today's passage, Jonah chapter 3, I want us to take note of the steps that God takes Jonah through in restoring him this privilege to serve this privilege to serve a great, gracious, and merciful God. Because the third chapter begins in this way. I'm reading from the CSB. It reads in this way. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, if you'll remember on Father's Day, we looked at that same phrase in Jonah chapter 1, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And we looked how the primary factor of that phrase is that the word is personal. The word is intentional. The word is specific. It's a word that revives, that grows, that strengthens the listener. And that the word is not just letters on a page. The word is an interaction from the great God with the child in whom he wishes to reveal himself. But what makes this verse different from the first chapter is that it's connected with these three words at the end. So we read, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now you and I both know that when there is trust that has been betrayed, when there is a responsibility that has been dismissed or discarded, when there is uh, an opportunity that has been passed, it is very rare, especially if we're the ones calling the shots, it is very rare for us to say, you'll get another try. It's very rare for us to say, okay, I'll give you another chance. But as I shared last week, praise God that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways because we hear there, we read there, that it comes to him a second time. That God's grace upon him is that he is all about second chances. He's all about second chances. I should have requested to sing that song, shouldn't I? But it's all about second chances. Which it's the first expression of God's grace toward Jonah. It's the first expression of God's grace toward us as his children. You see, when you read, you don't read of any berating of Jonah and the choices that he made. 
There's no guilt trips about what Jonah had din, done in his running away. No extended lectures. Now, if I ask my children, I'm one of those parents that lecture. And, and, and I go on and on and on. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. I've gotten better as I've gotten older. Not by much. But there's none of this from God. What I read is how the word of the Lord comes to him again. And it's a word that firstly tells him where he needs to go. Go to the great city of Nineveh what he needs to do and proclaim to it and what he needs to say. The message I give you. There's this invitation of God himself to a reluctant servant and reminds him of the task he needs to perform, then gives him the script that, he need, that needs to be communicated to that specific audience. It's like, you guys remember Pastor Roger? It's like Pastor Roger inviting me to his church to preach. Pastor Ben picking me up in the car, taking me out to North Richmond to Pastor Roger's church and telling me where I need to go in Pastor Roger's church right after Pastor John has written out my sermon for me. That's what it is. It's a poor example, I know, but this is essentially what God has done with Jonah. If you read Ministry of the Word by Watchman Nee, he makes this specific example where, as you read in the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets had this privilege of just, for want of a better word, regurgitating what God's message was. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. And you read all three Old Testament. God gives a prophet a message. The prophet just gets, gets there and bam, reads it out. And you see how it changes in the New Covenant, which we won't go into today. But it's really interesting that Jonah here has everything taken care of for him. He is given assurances in the word of God. It's, it's the goodness of God manifest toward him. And it's the grace and goodness of God manifest toward us as well. Because in the scriptures, God has given to us assurance after assurance. Promise after promise. Things we could stand on continually. We have assurances of our standing before him. When you Romans 5.1. We have assurances of our sustained relationship through him. We have assurances of our eternal destiny guaranteed. We have assurances that we will never be cast off. We have assurances that we'll never be discarded or dismissed. We have assurances that we will never be let go. Remember Romans 8.32 last week. The scriptures are full of assurances. This is why every week we encourage you to memorize God's word. Every week we encourage you to get into the word of God. Every week we say that the, the hope, the blessing, the stirring within one's heart is found within the scriptures. These are five assurances. I want you to write these down. I want you to memorize these. These were the first five memory verses I had in my Christian life. 30 years ago, 20 years, yeah, January 91, 30 years ago when I became a Christian in my Bible study with Eamon Sullivan, these were our first five memory verses. The assurance, the assurance of salvation, 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, which says, this is the record that God has given to us eternal life and this life is in his son he who has the son has life and he who has not the son of god has not life we have the assurance of answered prayer in, in john 16 24 um, hitherto this is from the king james hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name ask and you will receive 
that your joy may be full. We have the assurance of victory over temptation. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. We have the, the, the assurance of forgiveness in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have the assurance of guidance, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. These assurances are given to us to comfort us, to remind us, to strengthen us, that regardless, regardless of how we may feel, the reality of God's truth stands sure. The truths of God's word remain and that they are so deeply ingrained within us that they are rooted within our beings that it will enable us to look beyond our immediate circumstance to something greater and to someone bigger. That's why we encourage you so often to know the word of God. You see, this is the reality that Jonah understood when he was in the depths, when he was in the belly of the fish, as he cried out to the Lord. Because it's God's word who directs us, as it did Jonah. It changed his focus. It is God's word that instructs us, just as it did Jonah, as he relied upon him. It is God's word that becomes our message, just as it does Jonah, when he goes about what God had called him to do. And when you look and, what, and read what happens after you see this grace manifest toward him. You see this grace because he has allowed the opportunity to continue what God had called him to do. Read in verse 3 with me. It says this, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And this is the means by which the fullness of God's blessing is experienced. This this is not a big secret. This is not this this is the I guess you could say the key. This is the key that unlocks the fullness of God's abundance. This is the key that unlocks holiness in one's life. This is the key that unlocks dependence upon a great God. This is the key that unlocks so many aspects of our spiritual lives, which we as Christians, which we as a church, more often than not, keep locked aside. You know what that key is? That key is obedience. It's obedience. I'm sorry, it's, it's, not, a, it's, not, a, it's not a big thing. It's but it's that, it's, it's in obedience to God's word that the fullness of God's abundance is experienced. It's in obedience. You see, we read in, in 1 Samuel 15, 22, he says, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. And this is Samuel talking to King Saul when he did that which he was not supposed to do. When he offered a sacrifice when he was not permitted to do so. And he disobeyed God. And whilst he said he was sorry, the response to Saul was to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than suffering the consequences. But that verse... That verse is given greater clarity when you read it in connection with John 14, 15. 
If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, obey me. What Saul demonstrated in 1 Samuel 15 was that he loved himself more than he loved God. He thought, I'll do what I want and I'll suffer because I want what I want. This is the key to it. To obey is better than sacrifice. If you love me, keep my commandments. But it is obedience that unlocks so much of our Christian experience, so much of, of our Christian liberty is experienced in our obedience to God's word. Because as we read in 1 John 5, 3, they are not burdensome. They are there for our benefit. They are there so we can reap the rewards of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, you may think God was being unfair to Jonah by strong-arming Jonah into doing what he wanted him to do. You may think that. You think, hang on, he's only doing this because God first threw a storm, he got swallowed by a fish, and now he's been spat out on the land to go to think. You may think that was being unfair, but I want you to understand something. This is the position he was in because of who he was, because of the position that he held, because of the responsibility that God had anointed him for as his prophet. It's not something he could just shrug off and say, I don't want to do it no more. If Jimmy hired me to do some programming in his business, I'm not going to go and tell Jimmy, no, I don't want to program. He hired me to program. He wouldn't want me to program, but I'm just saying, if he hired me to program something, and I'm saying, no, I don't want to do that, I just don't feel comfortable doing that, then, then, then he's going to fire me. If Borkham Hills High School hires me to teach, I can't go to them and say, yeah, I don't want to teach. Why? Because I'm hired to, to teach for that specific purpose. I don't get to tell the people in authority what I will and will not do. Jonah is told, because he is a prophet of God, go to this city and prophesy. Jonah said, I don't want to prophesy. That's why he went. This is why Jesus teaches in, in Luke 12, 48. The second half of the verse says this. Who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Which basically means this. If you're in a position like this, then you're expected to fulfill that position. Jonah is anointed as God's prophet. And he is appointed to go to this nation and preach gospel. And the fact that he doesn't like the people, the fact that he doesn't want those people to experience God's goodness, well, that's not a good enough reason not to do it. One cannot dismiss the enormity of having one's eternal destiny in their hands. The eternal destiny of Nineveh is in the hands of Jonah right there. And he didn't want to do it because he had a personal gripe. That's why God disciplined him, why God redirected him and God changed his focus. Now, for us as believers in Christ, we are charged with the same responsibility. From Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18, we read this. When I say to a wicked person, this is God speaking, when I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them, 
or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin. Now get this, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. We too, with this message of hope, we too, with this message of love, we too, with this message of forgiveness, we will be held accountable for this great and precious message we have and what we do with it, especially if there are people whose eternal destiny will be changed because we give that message to them or won't be changed because we don't. And while we may not suffer the... uh, the consequence of being swallowed by a fish, or we will suffer in other ways. We will suffer because of our disobedience, whether it might be a a brokenness of fellowship, whether it might be people going to a crisis eternity, whether it might be us not experiencing God's fullness as we disobey. But here is what I want to encourage you with. The fact is this. We serve the same God as Jonah. We serve a God of, of second chances and of third chances and of fourth chances and of fifth chances. It's about restoration when we fail him. It's about reconciliation when we reject his lead. It's about revival when we grow weary, when we grow tired. That's what our God is about. Our God is about bringing us, him, sorry, bringing us back to himself. And how does he bring these things about in Jonah? Well, we have this. We have a strong word. A strong word. Look at the second half of verse 3, and I'll read verse 4 to you. It says this. I'm reading from the CSB. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, I have to admit, I have to admit, I was rather, and I have been rather critical of Jonah and his stubbornness, his defiance, and his rebellious attitude. I had a bit of, a, a bit of, a, a bit of an understanding when I saw the people that he was supposed to be ministering to, the Assyrians, their brutality, their idolatry, the, the sacrifice of, of innocence. I, I looked at that and I thought, okay, I, I can see why Jonah... Um, one brother, actually, when I shared the background of Nineveh on Father's Day, one brother texted me and he, he gave a modern equivalent. He said, it would be like me today going to, say, Afghanistan and preaching the gospel to the Taliban. You don't want to do it, and you want, I hope God's judgment falls upon them, but, and I praise God, that there are brothers and sisters even there now who are showing the love of Jesus there. There are people here now that are leading these people to Christ. There are people here that are willing Jonas, not running away, but standing on the promise of God's word. And we need to support them in prayer. We need to support them in any way we can as they continue about God's work. So when I looked at Jonah's message, I automatically saw it as Jonah doing the bare minimum that he had to do as he proclaimed God's word. When I say bare minimum, you'll notice in his message this. He never mentions God. He never mentions repentance. He never mentions judgment. All he does, it goes, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. But that is the message God gave him. I honestly don't think after being spat out of a fish, 
that God, that he would deliberately carry on and say, okay, God, I'm going I'm to stuff that and I'm going to just say what I want to say. I think this was the specific message that God was giving him to proclaim to Nineveh. Eight words in English. Eight words in English. In Hebrew, five words. Five words in Hebrew. And this is the only strong word that God gives to Jonah to tell the people. It's amazing how God can do so much with so little. That's what encourages me. That's what excites me. A strong word, when it comes from God himself, can change a person's heart. I remember reading the book about Charles Finney, who spent so much time in prayer, and how with but a look, when he went into a city after his, his, his prayer partners spent weeks praying for this one city, as he spent time praying with them for this one city before they had their revival meeting, and there's a, a phrase in it where a woman looked at him, he looked at her, and she broke down and confessed her sin and became a Christian. From a look, it's how a God can take so little and do so much. God's strong word here, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. This is the message that Jonah has, and this is what God does with something so small. If he can take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 people... He only needed was a boy's lunch to do the miraculous. Jesus took 12 men from all walks of life and turned the world upside down. Jesus took a shoe salesman in Chicago that didn't actually finish primary school to preach the gospel to hundreds of thousands of people globally in D.L. Moody. Jesus took a Jewish woman and used her to deliver other Jewish people from concentration camps during the Second World War in Corrie Ten Boone. Jesus took a gang leader to change them into an evangelist to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ in Nikki Cruz. And Jesus took you. He took you from where you are and from the experiences you have. And by his strong word, brought about change in your life as he moved you from darkness to light. As he moved you from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of his dear son. As he, through you, is influencing the lives of others for his kingdom. If you, if you remember that D.L. Moody quote that I often quote, how it says that the world is yet to see what God can do through one man who is fully consecrated to him. Look at this. This man wasn't even fully consecrated to him, and yet God, through his word, was able to bring about magnificent change in the lives of those that heard it. That's what God can do. Consecrated by a strong word. It, it, it proves to me, it, it shows to me what God is, is capable of doing, that the strength of the message is not in the messenger. That, uh, and you've heard this before, that the quality of, it's, it's in the quality of the seed, not in the sower. It's not me as the preacher, it's the preaching of God's word that has the impact. And so it was here, through a non-consecrated man, that by this strong word, he is able to bring about change. Think about that for a second. This word that we have in our hands, we are, we are consecrated by his strong word. John 8.36, we have been set apart by his strong word, as we read in, in, in John 17.17. 17. We are enabled by this strong word. 
to, to, that, that cuts down the enemy, the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6.17. It is that strong word that is foundational to life and upon which we can build that which lasts to eternity. If you read in, in Luke 6, uh, 46 to the end of the chapter, you see it's this strong word that God takes and brings about this, the supernatural miracle. The supernatural miracle. If, if, if God can do such amazing things, this God of second chances who takes a strong word and then brings about a supernatural miracle, it's how he can, he can take the little and feed the multitudes. That he can take the one and transform thousands. And it is here that we read of the greatest Miracle of all, as Cass shared earlier on, when you looked at chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Jonah and counted the miracles. Yeah, the, the story of Jonah is not about how God, God delivered Jonah by swallowing him in a fish and then spitting him out. The miracle of Jonah is not how much God reaches out to him. The miracle of Jonah is how God takes this stubborn, rebellious man and with but five words transforms a nation with five words completely transforms a city a city full of idolaters a city full of rebels a city full of evil a city that are enemies of God's people God transformed a whole city with five words. And you look at what happens. You read in verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. You read how a fast was then proclaimed. You read how all, from the greatest to the least, wore sackcloth and satin ashes. That was a, a sign of great remorse and of a penitent heart. In verse 6, you read, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, we read this, that he rose from his throne that he stripped off his royal robes, that he covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Even the king himself, at the hearing of these five words, got off his position of height and humbled himself before a great God and the condemnation that that great God was going to bring upon him. And what happened from there? It moves to a societal transformation. And you had this, this edict that has passed, a citywide edict, as you read from verse 7. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? May God may yet relent with compassion, sorry, and with compassion turn his fierce anger so that we will not perish. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's like that's like John going out preaching a message in Sydney having Gladys, our friend Gladys, hearing that message and then coming down from her position of authority to humble herself in repentance and sackcloth and recognize and acknowledge what he has done, what she has done, an offense to a great God. 
That's what I'm not saying Jono's Jonah or anything like that, okay? I'm just saying, as an example, no offense, Jono. But from the highest in the city to the lowest in the streets, from the people in the palace to the cattle in the fields, there is a complete and wholehearted recognition of the God of Jonah. Now, they would have known about the God of Jonah. They would have known about the God of Israel because Assyria and Israel had many dealings with each other. But from that one message, there was a genuine desire for repentance, a genuine desire because of their remorse for their offenses against the God of Israel. That's amazing how God can open their eyes to see the revelation of himself that causes them to be humbled before a great God. So they do the only thing that they can do as they face God's strong word, and that is repent. And that is the step, I guess you could say, that is the key step for us experiencing that which Jonah experienced, the success that Jonah had accomplished. And that came in repentance. See, we may have had these cases of doubt in these current times. We may have had or been filled with disappointments as things don't work out the way we expect them to. Or even as just things get dragged out. We may be filled with questions as to how far or how long this is going to go, go on for, all because we don't understand what is happening. Or in other words, we are not willing to see things from God's perspective. We might have given into such feelings, but the grace of God is such that like Jonah, he does not leave us in that spot. That like Jonah, he continues to reach out. And like Jonah, he is seeking to teach us about himself. And to reveal to us how much we rely on self. So he provided for Jonah, as he provided for Jonah, he provides for us as well the opportunity for us to move out of where we are as we trust in him. And that is the word of repentance. The word of repentance merely means a change of mind. A change of mind of, of who he is. A change of mind regarding what he's doing. A change of mind regarding the way he's doing it. You see, Jonah's message to Nineveh is a message of God, of God's actions, not only leading him there, but revealing not only to Jonah, but to all of us, that he is the God of the world. That he is a God that loves the world. That he is a God who is reaching out to the world, regardless of what we think is God's people or not. He has, for God so loved, the world. And it's a message of repentance so that the people would experience, the city of Nineveh would experience the greatness of God's love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness and sanctification. That this heathen city would experience this just as Israel had experienced it. Because we read this in verse 10. When God saw what they did. Read that? When God saw what they did. That was not me. Just for my, uh, my, my sound team looked at me funny there. Don't worry about that. Verse 10. When God saw what they did 
and how they turned from their evil ways. He relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. See, God has a heart for all mankind, for all humanity, all humanity. And the whole point for God establishing Israel through Abraham in in Genesis 12.1, through Isaac in Genesis 21, and and in in Jacob, Genesis 28, is so that the world will come to know through Israel who he is. An act that culminates in the person of Jesus Christ. And that act, that responsibility has been passed on to us as his people. That we now have this message to take out. We now hold this message of how for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We hold this message to go out to a world that is full of hopelessness, out to a world that is looking for purpose, out to a world that is trying to find some type of security that will last longer than this life. And that is found in Jesus Christ. A message that we have right here in the scriptures. A message that we live out day to day. A message that we can take and other people can have the privilege of experiencing through us. And that being born again by his spirit, we can be called the sons and daughters of the living God. That we are new creations, that we are serving in a new ministry, that we are granted the privilege to serve God Almighty as his servant. I want us to, to take away from this that, that, that our, our God, who is able to work the supernatural because of a strong word that he's granted, has given us that second chance through Jesus Christ. And what's great is this, that even as his children, we can experience those chances over and over again as we come before him and cry out to him like Jonah did in the depths. And that most importantly, as his child, we can experience and then in turn allow others to experience the fullness of that love we have with him. I want to close with a quote by Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot said this, The job has been given to me to do. Therefore, it is a gift. Now I'll start again. The job, the job is God's child, the job is God's prophet, the, God, the job is as Jesus' representative, the job as an ambassador of Christ. The job has been given to me to do. Make it personal. It's been to you to do. Therefore, it is a gift. It is a gift. Therefore, it is a privilege. Therefore, it is an offering I make to my God. Therefore, it is to be done... Gladly, if it is done for him, here, not somewhere else, I may learn God's way. In this job, not in some other, God looks for faithfulness. This is the privilege that has been bestowed upon us to serve. For such is the blessing that, like Jonah, we have been granted in Christ this privilege to represent, this privilege to serve, this privilege to praise, this privilege to acknowledge, this privilege to worship, and the greatest privilege of all, to be called the sons and daughters of the Most High. This is the word 
that has been given to us. And I pray that today, like we may have fallen, we may have failed, we may have made mistakes, but our God is a God that gives us chance after chance. And the way he, he makes those chances known to us is by the strong word he imparts to us through the scriptures. And that through the scriptures, he works the supernaturally miraculous in each of our lives. May we experience that because that is what he wants us to experience in himself. So take that word, brothers and sisters. Live that word, brothers and sisters. And see what God will do through you, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the example that Jonah has and how you can take him with five words and transform a city. How you can take him even from a time of rebellion and time of defiance and change his heart to live in obedience. And I pray that we will do likewise. Father, we ask that you will help us that as we, like Jonah, may be defined, we, like Jonah, may try to run or we, like Jonah, may try to hide. Uh, I pray that as you knock on the door of our hearts, we will respond and we will respond obediently. And we thank you that you are a God of second chances and third chances, fourth chances. And Father, that you are so patient with each of us. And I pray that each of us, in turn, will grow from glory to glory as we rely on you. We ask you to dismiss us now and have your way done in each of us so that we might shine on lights, shine as lights in a world that is so uncertain at the moment. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine according to the power that works within us, unto you be glory in the church both now and forever, even to the end of the age. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.